Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't like blood listeners of With Gorley and Rust, this is Matt Gorley. And before we begin this episode, I just wanted to mention that we somehow broke our record talking about Sleepaway Camp and went almost four straight hours. Now, that's okay with us because we know most of you listeners come to this podcast expecting it to be cozy and at length. However, Patreon wouldn't let me upload that big a file, so we decided to do the next best thing, and that's extend the season an extra week and make Sleepaway Camp a two-part episode. So here's the first half, and the second half will be out next week, and then the three following weeks will take care of the rest of the movies of this season. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy as we transition outside with the birds chirping and a long discussion of 1983's Sleepaway Camp. What words do I have? <laughs> What words do any of us have? Who could have words to describe 1983's Sleepaway Camp? Maybe the only words we could have are the five W's of journalism. Who, <laughs> what, where, when, why, and then how. We should try to answer that. That is a great thing to bring up. We should try to answer the who, what, when, where, why, and how. <laughs> Because it's the only way to get to the bottom of this. I've done some cursory research, and I don't know that those questions, not only are they not really fully available online, it seems the director himself likes to live in the shadows of mystery, yes. both personally and thematically about this movie. Mm-hmm. That's just a teaser. No, I'm, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's a... It, the the even the participants might not know Sounds the five like W's. It, even at the time. Yeah. Well... I hope you'll join us on what will be an interesting ride to yes. go to the titanic depths of Sleepaway Camp. I'm Matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Rust. Uh, titanic uh, indeed, because it is a beautiful, glorious ship. <laughs> but it just hit an iceberg. Uh, 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 many icebergs. Many tonal and uh, aesthetic. Yeah. 
icebergs. Another parallel to the Titanic is (laughs) the disparity between like mankind's accomplishment and its hubris because this, I don't think maybe with the exception of the room, I've seen a film with more disparity between technical craft and ability. And I'm not saying this movie is like amazing and technical, Mm -hmm. but it's got a decent score. It looks decent Mm -hmm. yet. There's as far as I know, literally no art in this movie. Like there's (laughs) no representation of the human condition in any perceptible way i understand it to be a 12 year old was somehow given a a, a fully functional adult film crew and budget and just said tell us what to do today that's all i can that's the only thing i can wrap my head around for this movie i should mention this is the first time i've seen this movie yes oh my gosh uh and i i am so uh thirsty (laughs) for your thoughts because to get to hear a first time watchers like reactions or uh, to hear them and know them is, is important. It's like, I think why sleepaway camp exists yeah, is to get like the initial reaction. My reactions are as confused as this movie. I mean, this is with Gorley and Russ. This is the, the <laughs> yes. show. It's a, it's a, you know, it's just a long form. Get into bed. Cozy, cozy cast. cast about horror movies. <laughs> you can find out more in the show notes about what we do on Patreon mm-hmm. and merchandise. But today the topic is just too important. We just could get to it. That's true. And I, I did think I was thinking about in terms of uh, with previous movies we've discussed within our podcast and stuff like um, this feels different than any of the others <laughs> as far say. as I can tell. Yeah. Because um it's the one that's like the most quote unquote you said the room like it's the most quote unquote bad it's like a bad movie and I think to talk about sleepaway camp you have to sort of talk about it's badness yeah for sure and that's just for us kind of unchecked territory or new territory because usually with some exceptions I think even the the stuff that's considered bad, we try to find the best in yeah. most often. Yeah. And so um, to talk about Sleepaway Camp, you kind of got to like, you got to rib it a yeah. bit. Oh, I think it's the only <laughs> way you can, right? Yeah. And and uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you, you this is your first time seeing it. I said this at the end of the last episode. Um, I've seen it probably like 25 to 30 times. Wow. And I, wow. if I'm ever asked, and maybe I think I was kind of like keeping this close to the vest because I didn't want to spoil <laughs> things or whatever, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, I saw it probably like 20 to 15 of those times in high school and college. Oh, perfect. And uh, 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 even though I just said it's a bad movie, I, I've been kind of in this, uh, I wouldn't say it's existential. I've just been like kind of like, it's more of a philosophical, like, can I, if I love a movie and I get so much enjoyment out of it, is it bad? Like, that's the, doesn't that oh, then make it good? Isn't that, at the end of this podcast, what the answer we're all looking for? Because it's hard to find that question within, to answer that question within yourself, but I can tell you from the outside, and I couldn't tell this to myself, but yes, it does make it good, I think. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. I, I think it I has think so to. too. Because I don't, neither of us, I think, subscribe to the guilty pleasure thing because we usually go, oh, if you like it, then you don't have to feel guilty about it. Yeah. 
the world is short on pleasures. So just, yeah. and this is like harmless to like a movie. Yeah. So love garbage. It's the best. This uh, one's interesting though, because <laughs> it's so problematic and it made me think like there must be three versions of this film and you'll see the version depending on when you saw it. So if you saw it <laughs> first run, it's probably bad, but not dated. Then you saw it middle run, like probably when you were in high school or college. Where Late you're 90s, like, early yeah, aughts. It's dated and bad and just probably the most fun it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Now it's dated, bad, and and especially under... It's always been problematic, <laughs> right. of course, but right. especially under today's lens, like it's impossible not to watch it that way. So three versions of this film exist and you watch one depending on when. And everybody has yes. enough imagination and I can imagine all three... And yes. I, yeah, yeah. 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 And so it's interesting. I don't know which ones we're going to talk about them all today. I that's guess. yeah. Let's imagine all three because I like that idea of imagining all three. Because the that third one, the third wave of watching it, the one that you talked about, it's also not like the the stuff that's always been problematic. That's in there is also there's multitudes of it. It's not just <laughs> and I didn't the know Angela that. piece. It's like. Yeah. I do think, even when I saw Sleepaway Camp from the beginning, I was like, I think this filmmaker knew he's making his own movie. There's really nobody he has to answer to. He's writing and directing it. So it's purely just like this thing that drained from like the cyst in his brain. (laughs) And I don't know if it necessarily worked this way, but it's almost like it was a list of taboos. And I'm going to like work through, because there's like um, a secret gay romance there and these aren't necessarily my taboos i'm saying they're the culture like that yeah, but for like sure. and then um uh yes dressing your uh child as a boy to be a girl yeah a, let's a be cl- doing clear that. this film is not addressing any of these taboos with any kind of like nuance and let's explore the social implications of that let's just we'll get all of that out of the way right now with this podcast that the views of this film don't reflect our views, but we're going to obviously, no, no, no. I'm glad you're saying it. But you're right. Like it's, and our enjoyment of the movie isn't a, uh, uh, an endorsement of the, the mindset of this movie. If anything, it's contributing to the, the worst perceptions of these, you know, problematic issues. Well, and then I was going to say the other taboo that's like really in there that probably you didn't know was going to happen and surprised you, I'm going to guess, is the like arty, the pedophile cook. I had no idea. And to use that, not just as like a, just to use it as a plot point is like tasteless. (laughs) (laughs) To not even talk about like the execution and like the treatment of him and uh, well, we'll get into that too when the the arty scenes come. Uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, I, I will say, you know, just having watched it so much and stuff when I was in high school and college, I was reflecting on like why, and I do think it is, it was like my first, um, taste of the like midnight movie, Mm. cult movie, and just the, even the idea that, um, a movie could do something like this. <laughs> like, cause I was like 50, I think I was like a junior or senior in high school. And so I had seen like low budget exploitation movies a bunch, but this was the first time it had occurred to me that like, uh, Oh, like doing a low budget exploitation movie that isn't made by a studio. Doesn't just afford you like more gore and more nudity. 
it allows you to like um have a three and a half minute baseball scene that doesn't in the middle of the movie that doesn't have it and it allows you to have I'm gonna count six different types of performances in this like from the end of like community theater like with the worst form of acting to like the dad from Midnight Express playing Mel the camp counselor who gives it some like sort of like method like it's and watching that movie, I, it was just like my first taste of like, oh, I, movies can be so bonkers in such a fun way. Yeah. And then the like, I never was like a Rocky Horror Kid, but just in retrospect, I realized that's what it was. It was like me and my friends. We owned a, somebody had a copy of Sleepaway Camp. And it just was a guarantee Friday or Saturday night, maybe both, we'd get together and we'd sit in somebody's levin, a, a living room and You'd have six to seven people there. You'd invite one or two friends to come and watch this new thing with them, and we'd all watch it together. And you'd get to see their minds get blown. And and then in college, we took it with us. You expose it to new people in college. So it really was just like, a, um, you know, the indoor kids who don't have something necessarily to do, a party to go to, have their own little party. And it is such a, like a secret... I was going on sleepawaycampmovies.com's message boards and shit, dude. I, love I was this. like in it. So I love it. We uh I don't I think it's more important to focus on the first timers reaction to these scenes and stuff. So I won't be like, if you look at the corner, you can see a girl looking the camera. I'll, I'll was be- she in the in the mess hall? Yes! Yes, I know who you're talking about. So you should feel free to do that. <laughs> well, you saw her too. I, the first I didn't even, I didn't even write a note about that, but I was like, did I just see what I think I saw? Oh, it's this movie. Of course I must have. She's like looking right up cross eyed yeah. into the corner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. And that became the fun of like the repeated rewatches was can you find something new each time we watch it? I like, bet you the, could. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so as. <laughs> A grown man watching this with what you described as kind of the third, what you could imagine is the third response to watching this movie. Somebody in 2021 watching it. What's just like your wave of feelings as you're like watching it? How does it unfold? So many. I was definitely truly blown away. And I don't remember the last movie that did that to me. And and movies can blow you away in good ways and bad ways. And <laughs> for this, like mixed ways, because... Mm-hmm. Again, I'll just say... Oh, you can say it's total shit and you hate the movie too, by the way. I do not. I do not. And I think I want to defend that because I do feel like somehow I'm afraid to say how much I enjoyed watching this movie, even though, like we said, the movie's not good. (laughs) And obviously it's very problematic, not just in the ending, in all kinds of ways. And we'll talk about that. Oh, and it's mean-spirited and sleazy and and cruel. Cynical. And I I, want to get into how, how, what, why, where's and all that. But I was kind of like wishing I was sitting with my friends uh. watching this and wanted that second like iteration of this movie. But I was able to kind of just do that on my own. And um, oh I, yeah, like with um, in yourself, you're having this kind of like dialogue of like, well, what's yeah? Why is that cop's mustache fake? Yeah, yeah I yeah. was kind of like <laughs> writing notes going there will be a delayed reaction where I'll get the second version of this movie 
instead of the third I'm having now when I talk to Paul when we do the recording. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, maybe down the line we eventually do a commentary because we, we can have that, like... We have to because yeah, yeah, beat yeah. by beat. Oh, my God. So I was just blown away. I said on the last episode, and I've said it before, I knew the ending of this film. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is that I had a different understanding of the ending. Even visually, I thought I'd seen the end of this movie where someone had posted it and I realized I don't know what I saw but my my memory of the end of this movie is a grown man with female body parts screaming at the top of his lungs on top of a hill by a cabin going like I'll kill you all or something and now I'm wondering is this another dream (laughs) And then when I saw this ending, I go, oh, I think I have seen that right. before, but I was, because, because I but had it got this, telephoned. Yeah. A game of telephoned or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And because That's I had this normal. expectation, the entire movie I was watching it that Angela was a red herring. Oh, so you still got some kind of... I got a super twist. Yeah, you still got the twist. And then just that it ends so abruptly. Yes. And, and, Which has become a theme for all of our I movies. Know. These like lack of denouements. Um, going to the first wave, the first experience that you were talking about, I was thinking about at the very end, it was the first time I thought to myself, God, if I was sitting in a grindhouse theater in like Times Square in 1983 or 84 when this came out and that ending happened and then the lights came up in the theater and you're walking out and you, if you just saw it by yourself, you're out the lobby with people, you'd be like, did you see that shit? (laughs) You would have to talk to strangers. You would have to. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you would have to like, to people who didn't see the movie, you'd come out of the theater and go, <laughs> I have to tell you what I just, or buy a ticket, can you watch this so we can talk about and they it? They would think you were crazy. It's it's kind of like, I don't know, I, I almost would put this above like knowing the truth behind some major conspiracy or something. Like, I want to know really what's going on here. Because it's, I don't think for a second this is a film deep with themes mm-hmm. or like it's not like you really can dissect <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and find a lot and I don't mm-hmm. think you're reaching and many people don't this is pretty surface level but I just can't wrap my head around oh. this guy who wrote and directed this film it was even no exactly when Please that was it, my yeah. first response when I first saw it was who is Robert Hiltzik yeah who made this movie. We looked on IMDb. It was the only movie he made. And before he came out to talk about, uh, not came out, came out, uh, in the early 2000s, when he like was like, yes, I am the filmmaker of Sleepaway Camp. The stuff you'd read online was people speculating, I bet he's, um, he's actually, uh, he dresses as a woman, or he dr- yeah. he's actually a woman and dresses as a man because people... I had the first response when I saw that movie was, what's the psychology of the person who made this? Or uh, maybe that's not exactly what, but that's all I could, I kept thinking about was like, who made this movie and what was their deal? And then the fact that like, this movie that book ends with, it ends with, yeah, that shot of a little girl with, who you thought was a little girl has a penis. Uh, 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 An adult male body adult male body with an adult male penis the bookend the first thing you see in the movie is dedicated to mom a doer 
What is like the raw stuff that's going on to this guy's brain? That's pre-production logo. We haven't even gotten to logo loco yet. That's pre-production logo. Yeah. The first thing you see is no for the money, what. man. Get there. <laughs> their graphic on screen I'm going to dedicate this to mommy this is one thing that I'm going to make later I might do a sequel but this is my life's work my masterpiece and it's going out to my mom yeah and what would his mom's response be when she saw this it was like so you wanted to dedicate a movie to me about a deranged mother who dresses her uh, uh, the, the boy she adopts addresses her as a girl Aunt Martha Am I your Aunt Martha? I, I, How would you want that dedicated? I, I don't know. And the, the the conclusion that I can most come to, and this is purely speculation, is that this guy, because it, it's it's known for the record that he went to a camp like this and then shot this movie at the camp he went to as a kid, that I think he thinks he's making a kind of like meatballs, bad news bears, kind of like, but also a horror drama of this is how it is because the way the kids kind of talk so real and they use such really like just blunt language that probably you would have at the time. It's like, I actually think all of this is very real except for, you know, obviously where it goes, but it was just handled so poorly. So I think he thinks I'm just doing what I saw and what I was and what I did. And then what I'm going to do is do a twist on horror movies uh, because won't it be kind of, people won't expect this thing. And it's almost like he gave it no weight or thought at all and oh, just was wow. like, I'm going to do a titillating twist and that's it. I Yes, <laughs> and I love the idea that like this is a guy, like a novelist, his first novel is always about their life and themselves. Yeah. He makes his first movie and he's really making like a coming of age story about his experiences at camp, but he knows eh, there's no marketplace for that. So I'll make it, Hey, there's these slasher camp movies getting made. I'll put in this. I mean, it's also what I love about sleepaway camp is the kind of like, there's this genre of slasher movie. There's this genre of camp slasher movies and Somebody goes, okay, I'll make one of those. And then they just pump it full of like their own <laughs> stuff. And then they also go, well, I mean, it's what's, I would say the, the thing outside of the twist ending, the, the thing that feels the most like special about this movie or that like one of its kind is the like a horror movie where the protagonists and the ensemble you focus on are all under 18 kids. I had no idea that was coming. Halfway through the movie, I kept expecting, like, we're going to shift to the counselors at some point here. (laughs) And that it's even existing while camp is happening. Like, all those Friday the 13th movies, part six has a little bit where the kids are at camp, but, like, it's usually they're getting the camp ready or the camp, or by part three, they're not even going to a camp anymore. It's just, like, they're by the lake. So, like having an actual camp happening with kids there. And those little campers that are out sleeping, the little kids get oh boy. M- mutilated or something. And I kept looking at that going, they're playing a trick on the counselor like that. That's Do you not know why the they kid. got killed? Because they had to go home or something? What? <laughs> no, uh, like the, not the behind the scenes, oh. like the actual, what the movie tells us. Oh, you didn't notice, Gourley? No, what? Oh, oh, very clear. <laughs> When Angela gets thrown into the water yeah. and they take her out um, while Ricky's walking her off the dock, 
You didn't notice those little kids kicking sand at her? <laughs> so that's their justification for why the killer, Angela or Ricky? Hmm? Angela and or Ricky. I'm just going to throw that out there. We could discuss later. Oh, what? Maybe. I don't you think. You think Ricky's doing some of this? I think so. Really? Because uh, how can she get to the on the lake and kill the kids when she's with Paul? Like at the end and, and going. And then oh, Ricky's like, friend, quote unquote, I think you're sick. giving this movie too much credit. <gasps> well, and also because anytime the, they use the killer's hands they are Ricky's yeah and then in the doorway when when Judy's there before the curly iron kill oh my god oh my it, god when the person's standing in the door it's really weird if you freeze it it's the actor Ricky his face but they put like a back ponytail yeah. wig thing on yes. his head so the silhouette looks like Angela's yeah the reason I think this hour I have a hunch is Aunt Martha says at the very, very beginning, hey, here's her health forms. And Ricky says, no matter what, I'll never tell. And then um, I am giving more credit to this movie. <laughs> but I, I, what I just think, like, how would Ricky not know? They, they take baths i'm sure he walks into a bedroom everyone they live together yeah i think you're right he knows he knew but... her as peter his cousin he was old enough to they're the same age so we would have at one point gone peter moved in and now peter's angela yeah. i in a better made movie i would be with you 100 percent. and you may be right but i think this is just them <laughs> saying let's put a hairpiece behind ricky and have him do it in silhouette so it's ambiguous and you can't tell uh, but also don't worry too much about the lighting because we won't see it. And it's just, just glaring Videos, errors. This will never be on video. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's entirely reserved What's for uh, classic movies. This is going to play in a bunch of theaters for five weekends. And it's then never this and Zhivago in a double bill at matinee at the Bijou. <laughs> it's going to be huge. And, and if it doesn't, I'll never make another film till the 2000s. <laughs> Which will be its sequel. Uh, and the sequel, Return to Sleepaway Camp, I think was shot in 2003 or want to or so, and it didn't get released for three, th three years because um, <laughs> they could, didn't have enough money to finish the effects. <laughs> There's like digital effects. It's, oh, have you seen it? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh. I, as a... Uh, as a fan, I watched Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 once, just to say I have. They're, Those it, are the unofficial ones, right? Yeah, Robert Hiltzik sold yeah. the franchise to another company, and then Pamela Springsteen... Who is? Bruce's sister. Seriously? Uh-huh. And you've got James Earl Jones' father in this. <laughs> yeah. The pedigree behind this movie is embarrassing. That this is what a Springsteen and an Earl Jones yes. were associated with. Not since uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote Lopty Neck for Jedi, <laughs> as, as uh, Earl Jones worked with a Springsteen. He sent him down a tutor. He is a tutor. To do a Streets of Philadelphia Lopty Neck matchup. <laughs> I was bruised and battered. Lopty Neck. 
<laughs> well, you got Max Weinstein and Max Rebo. You telling me that's not Max Weinstein in that pillow elephant suit? Oh my god! Um, just reminded me, Nick Weiger had a really funny tweet once about a guy who's playing at Jabba's palace and is like bragging on Twitter later, like. Max Rebo just told me I had a great session. <laughs> Hashtag shaking. <laughs> Do you imagine like a guy coming up? Rebo just told me I killed it in my set. A, a family member of mine has a, a specialist doctor named Doctor McCool, but it's I think it's like M A K H O U L, and every time I hear that, I think Droopy McCool from the Max Droopy Rebo McCool. band. That his doctor's like. Yeah, that's me. I used to play in the band, but I mean, like a lot of people, it didn't. I have, I had a wife and kids. I had to move on. I'm a specialist now. Anyway, I know I look really weird. You know what? My, my patients like it when they find out I was a rock and roller. My friends, it's cool. But now I'm a doctor with a wife and kids who have the support. Um, had you talked to Size Noodles at all? <laughs> I, I see her on Facebook. She's kind of doing a lounge act on her own. She's, I mean, frankly, she's riding the fame. She's, um, it's not mine to say. She's had drug problems. Too, yeah. So she's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, hey, uh, Jabba, when you go to bed at night, it's not going to bed when you just move to the next corner of the room. <laughs> With all your friends still awake? A curtain does not a hotel room make. <laughs> Let me tell you. Or what if, like, Jabba's standards are so low that he's so low, Han. Uh, uh, his standards are just like, he's kind of like, if you did run a hotel, you could just kind of put a curtain up and Jabba would be happy. <laughs> Frankly, I don't like going through doors anyway. Yeah, it's like when Marlon Brando just like wears a big like calf. What are those? Uh, yeah, like, caftan. Yeah. yeah, it's easier. It's just <laughs> simple. <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, by God. Also, I, I think it is if anybody has a drinking game with her podcast or a, a whatever. I think we probably talk about Jedi every episode, right? I mean, if we're doing our job, <laughs> we're gonna get to that film. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. So you <laughs> haven't seen discussed. <laughs> yeah, it does. We'll find horror elements in it. <laughs> What's the scariest part of? I know mine. I think I know the scariest part of Jedi. Uh, for me, <laughs> to anybody who's listening to this for sleepaway camp talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm asking <laughs> the scariest part in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I guess it's... Even if, not as an adult, even if you were a child and you were watching as a yeah, child. Yeah, I think it's when Luke's walking into Jabba's palace and that spider walks by. <laughs> the spider robot. <laughs> With a brain in a jar. Yes. What about you? Uh, around that same time, I would say the uh, rancor when the oh yeah dancer goes down and then sees it and then it cuts away from her. Yeah. 
Bigfoot's your imagination can fill in all kinds of horrible things. Yeah, that's true. Or even when that rancor, is that how you say it? Rancor? Oh, rancor? Yeah. rancor. Gets into Luke's face. Mm. Yeah. Get that guy to a dentist. I know. Mm, somebody needs a cleaning. <laughs> is there a puppet dentist in the house? Dr. Henson. Paging Dr. Dr. Henson. McCool. What? Dr. Droopy McCool. <laughs> Oh my god, that would have been cool if at the end of for Jedi, unlike the other Star Wars, like they know it was it was gonna be like the last one, so they do the um people's faces oh, with in the, the name like credits. Predator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then for Droopy McCool, like, it comes up Droopy McCool, and then the MD. person takes the mask off and it's Jim Henson. <laughs> I had to get in there. Frank Oz had his mitts all over Yoda. It's I'm funny like the cool. when they were naming the Max Rebo band that they're like, we gotta like give them jazz names. And Max Rebo sized noodles, yeah, that works. But Droopy McCool, and is it Droopy because his face is kind of like droopy and saggy? That's and- my guess because you've got precedent for that prune face, squid face, uh, even um, uh, uh, Biggs or what or. Porky, pork. Or Porkins. Porkins. Yeah. Is a. Yeah, that's pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Walrus man, hammerhead, snaggletooth. <laughs> yes, it's a galaxy far away, but we're still using Earth's animals and <laughs> body parts to <laughs> give names to, to these people. <laughs> With souls and hearts. Oh, they do have souls and hearts. Yeah. Um, well, I'll hold your hand during the um, spider when Luke comes into Jabba's palace part, and, and you hold yeah. my hand during the Rancor part. I yeah, think we'll, we'll and then we'll hold it. each other's hand for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Eighty-three. Hey, to bring it back to Sleepaway Camp, nineteen eighty-three, Jedi and Sleepaway Camp. That was what hell of a year for film. Ye- the America was in the throes of Jedi and Sleepaway Camp fever. Yeah. I- I, do, I oh man wait real quick so you have you have not seen the official oh. sequel to this but you've seen the unofficial licensed ones that he sold but then he somehow got it back yeah Which, in high school I watched parts two and three and they were like they're intentionally campy they're yeah, like jokey um, and then so never wanted to go back and then uh, uh, and then I didn't ever watch Return to Sleepaway Camp because I think it was going to be like. Um, uh, a comeback reunion show for a band yeah. that I, I you like wanted to preserve the integrity of the original. Yes. You couldn't let that besmirch the original. Because no, they didn't do the first one for money. <laughs> they had a they had a statement they wanted to make, and then they do the sequel just to make money. But what I want to know is, and I can't find this anywhere. Who? Like, who put up the money for this? I guess he went and got $50,000. I did find this somewhere. What am I talking about? <laughs> he went and got $50,000 oh, investors and got it up to 350000 And they, he said they used every bit of it. They put it on the screen, as Cubby Brown uh, Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, yeah, that's like, it really explains why this movie doesn't have any other creative. Yeah people going like you can't do that or this is weird so who was pamela springsteen in this was she a producer oh she's just in the sequels oh she plays angela in the sequels pamela springsteen and it's springsteen's sister yeah 
Oh my God. <laughs> and we've got James Earl Jones's father in mm-hmm. this. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's on Artie's cook staff. It, I, I know when we found the, out it was, it was, it made us sad because Return of the Jedi yeah. is that same year. I know. And so at Thanksgiving, the Earl Joneses get together and they're like, congratulations, James, on voicing Darth Vader. It's the first time he got credit, right? Yeah. He didn't take credit for the first yeah, two. Yeah, so. Well, dad, you had a banner year too. <laughs> <laughs> let's all go see it in theaters tonight for Thanksgiving sleepaway uh, camp. No, let's, uh, why don't we go see yours? Son? Well, we've seen two Star Warses in a row, uh, but I really want to see how it ends. I'm really curious about I know slasher movies are hot. This is at a summer camp. Do you think in the scene where Luke Skywalker takes Darth Vader's helmet off and sees like his like dying dad? Yeah. When (laughs) James Earl Jones saw that scene, what he emotionally tapped into when he saw the movie was, oh, this is like when I saw my dad in Sleepaway Camp. (laughs) The man behind the curtain. There's always a moment when you become the parent and your parents become the child. If James Earl Jones saw this movie, sadly, although I can't blame his dad because his dad's trying. It's a thankless role. And the moment where that main cook child molester uses the term baldies for children really in the presence of an Earl Jones. I, that was when it really crystallized to me of, Oh, it's not just the end of this movie that I'm aware of. This whole movie's going to be a ride. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Cause then he says, yeah, he goes, um, he says to him, uh, where I come from, they call them baldies. And then Robert Earl Jones responds to it and goes, Artie, they're too young to even know what's on your mind. Artie says, it's not that they're too young. You're just too old. Oh, my God. And Robert Earl Jones' response? To laugh. I know. This old child molester (laughs) who's my boss. The reason why I I feel like this director is just recounting experiences from his youth is because I actually remember people saying stuff like that when I was a kid. And... It doesn't translate, you know, like, and I'm not saying it worked then. I, no, no. But, but did you go to a camp or? No, but I remember playground talk like this kind of thing. I do. I do remember like, I remember these kind of. About adults who were. No, but I like, I remember these like alpha bad boys of my grade and they would say things like that. You know, they really would. And so it's just, it was there and it was happening. And that kind of talk was like spot on, but it was just handled so inartfully because mm-hmm. you could imagine, you know how like they kind of yeah. get into similar territory, but it really walks the line better and stand by me and things mm-hmm. like that. That's mm-hmm. how you do it. Like you yeah. can't just one for one put real life into art. No, it has to, it has to like be put through a lens of perception and it has to be handled by someone capable. So like, that's, what's so weird about this movie is all the technicians are capable technicians. Yet the person running the ship is one of the most, one of the least capable artists I've ever seen. Yeah. It'd be like to go back to the Titanic thing. It'd be like if the Titanic was having, and then somebody was like, I'll be the captain. And he was like, and we're going to Mars. And everybody's like, uh, we're all okay. Yeah. This movie feels made by the guy who is the, is in a group with a funny guy and thinks the way to be funny is to just copy the funny guy and doesn't (laughs) understand how to interpolate it. You know, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And so this guy feels like, like, you know, like Billy the bully in this movie mm-hmm. was probably a friend of his when he was a kid. He's like, I'm going to make a movie for Billy. Billy's going to Billy's going to love, love this. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, then like the way Ricky has such a foul mouth. Yeah. I mean, like Baldi's is probably like the, the most... Uh, disconcerting yes yeah. distasteful like ugly word and, but like the stuff that comes out of Ricky's mouth just by virtue that he's a child is like really and I guess the story is that uh, I think the actor was allowed Jonathan Tierston was allowed to improvise his own Uh-oh. vulgarity <laughs> like oh, so, no. so like he went you can just see in his eyes and his attitude it is the relish mm. Of like a fourteen-year-old who's been allowed to cuss yeah. in front of the grown-ups, because there's just times where like, there's a point where they come off the roof after throwing water balloons at Angela. He goes, "These cocksuckers keep me I'm like, no. how could a fifty-five-year-old gaffer on set be okay with just like standing there hearing?" I don't know because I years think old? he's hanging around fifty-five-year-old gaffers who are speaking like that and things like that's the way someone cusses, like <laughs> yes. just like a guy on top of a riveting a skyscraper. You <laughs> cocksuckers! <laughs> it, it felt that way. Yeah, it's a uh, um, right, and the other sort of should you be allowing children to do this stuff? Like no, um, the prank where. Mozart the nerd, which oh, is God. my favorite nerd name in any movie. It's, uh, is Mozart wonderful. Is. It's probably the only creative flourish in this film that <laughs> should be that wins. acknowledged yeah. or tried yeah. to be copied. Mozart, uh, that prank where he gets throat goes up and he hits yeah. Paul's bare butt. Yeah. Um, I don't think an adult filmmaker, a grown man, I mean. Uh, a grown adult should be setting up a shot where a little boy, like a teenage boy's butt is out and another boy's face goes into that butt. Well, that that's a be hot allowed. take, Paul, and that's, that's going to be a controversial stance, but, <laughs> but the fact I will that agree with you. I'm you glad see, I'm a limb and agree with you. You see the thread it's connected to then the last yeah. shot, too. It's yes. just like, this person doesn't have boundaries or you know, he's now like a, a lawyer at a law firm. He's a yeah, partner. Yeah. He's a, not just a lawyer. He's a partner at a law firm. The so, director. And he went to the Tisch School I know. of Arts. <laughs> What's going on? So he on? went to film school. He learned how to do like a master <laughs> shot in coverage and how to like, oh, if you're going to be in one location, you shoot all the scenes in the location because there's sometimes where you see like the same extras in a, a location yeah. Separated by weeks in the movie. Yes. Uh, but, so he knows how to do that. And then it was just like, well, I mean, I don't know what. Is it like, I made my movie, now I'll be a lawyer? Or is it, did he try to make child's play? Was he up for child's play? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> and that that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, he knows technically how to do this and like shoot coverage and and you know, don't cross the 300 or the 180 line and all that stuff. Cause I expected to see more technical flaws in this movie. They're not really there. Yeah. I don't know who the DP is and I didn't look it up to know if it was somebody who's like Deacons. 
<laughs> yeah, just like a... What if his whole crew, deacons and like... The Coen brothers saw Sleepaway Camp and was like, that's our guy. Hiltzik? Produced by Frank yeah, Marshall. Yeah, Hiltzik and Deacons. Costumed by... We need somebody who got those Blue Oyster cult shirts. <laughs> we need that wardrobe person. And there's an Asia shirt in there, too. And a Loverboy poster. poster. Who brought that to camp? And put it up and then left it. Like, was kind of like... Yeah. It should stay here in this... Oh, because it's empty, which is a crazy plot point that they don't really articulate very well that the the camp starts getting empty because parents are pulling the kids out of off camp but yeah. they never say that exactly because i i think they don't want to have in your brain the idea that parents have come and taken away because yeah. it just starts that one guy says uh, we'll consolidate the cabins who that guy was the guy i kept expecting to be the killer because Ronnie. for some reason he reminded me of the the vision that I think I've seen before. Because he maybe he's the one who discovers, yeah, Angela. So maybe. And I thought he's like a force of good in them. All the counselors are good people. Yes. That's the weird thing. M- Meg. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh, she's a counselor. Meg is a counselor. Oh, this does isn't not... that weird? Because she is like buddies with Judy. Well, yes. So I thought she was, and this does not defend where she ends up going with with Mel, her character arc. But I thought she was a camper. Oh, <laughs> oh no, God! Well, then that makes it even more bonkers. This thing that's that already fit, bonkers. That fit in this version. Yeah, like, when that happened, I was like, "That's horrible." But okay, I buy that for this film. And how do you think that went down? <laughs> like, I was trying to get my mind around it this time, where I was like. <laughs> Was Mel written to be a dashing I think so. counselor a la uh, Paul and Friday 13th yeah, Part 2? I think, and then they got a quote name. <laughs> they got a quote fish. <laughs> I, there's no reason why I should ever talk about somebody else's physical appearance, but oh my God, I love when he sticks that cigar in his mouth he just got some big bass trout mouth just... You should just constantly be saying meh. Yeah. Can I come up to your cabin later? Uh, to give credit where all credit's due, in high school we just called him Meh. <laughs> that was his name. We never called him Mel. Because it just looked like his name. Oh, but still, oh. it's still, I can't wrap my head. It's not like he's hitting on her and she's kind of like, okay, she's pursuing him. Oh, God. And she goes in and brags about like, I have a date tonight. That would be the opposite response after that. You'd be like, I'm never going to tell anybody this. But she seems to be on, forget cloud nine, cloud 10. I know. She's on cloud Mel. (laughs) Cloud Mel. And Megan Mel. That's a little weird, huh? Yeah. Do you like Meg's introduction where she goes, my name's Meg. Close up. M E G. Yeah. What, what? Just in case you think my name's Meg, the Russian jet that's popular around this time, it's not. <laughs> it's Meg. Okay. Short for Megan. M E G A N. Like the jet. You know the jet. <laughs> um. I mean the 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 close up on her just saying M E G. It's what's the fun of when a lunatic is making a movie yeah. is like, um, 
with the exception of maybe like kind of like a eight to ten minute stretch before the final like things start wrapping up. There's just like a couple scenes where it's like love triangle, like a couple scenes that are the same. Yeah, the movie. I wouldn't say slows down. It's just like kind of not this movie as interesting as what comes before or after. Yeah. But what I love about this movie is like in every scene, there's always something weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's not boring. It's, no, it's a really fun movie to watch. This movie feels like the first ever glitch in the matrix where you know like we're living <laughs> in a world now where that's unfolding regularly like trump becoming president where you if you really step back and go something's off like there's something's fritzing right now the world isn't right i think this is the first one where something in the fabric of space-time glitched and they just said let an early computer r- make a movie <laughs> based on what we know so far of slasher films. So put Friday the 13th in there, put Halloween, put Black Christmas, put Meatballs, put Little Darlings, put Breaking <laughs> Away, bears. Bad News Bears, put it in and let's see what we get. No one will question it. People, it'll be remarkable, but not in the way you think. And then, There's the weird science. Yeah, of, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a big storm and then this is the mutant Kelly Preston Kelly Press? Kelly LeBrock. Yeah, Kelly but instead LeBrock. of Kelly LeBrock, you get Fishman. <laughs> oh my God. If I got to stand in a shower with Fishman, <laughs> a la uh, Weird Science. Weird Science would have been such a better movie if instead of Kelly LeBrock, it would have been Mel from Sleepaway Camp. Miyashi. Uh, Miyashi. <laughs> also, the title Sleepaway Camp is so brilliant because it's not in of itself scary. No. It's just, it would be like. A horror movie called like Destination Wedding or uh, yeah. yeah, but like is summer camp is too pleasant. <laughs> Sleepaway camp implies like you have to go away, and and yet this camp has a name. It's like what is it? Camp Ataka camp Ataka or, Ataka, or yeah, something? Uh-huh. A- yeah, Ottawa or yeah, yeah, something. Uh-huh. Yeah, Arawak. Camp Arawak. Arawak. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. The uh. uh the glitch in the matrix thing I'm curious about just too because it's like the the bad news bears to the like 80s crossover thing of this does seem like a weird uh, object of the time of like going from 70s permissiveness mm. transgressiveness to 80s weird titillation. repression yeah. titillation yeah like aunt martha does seem like nancy reagan or something like this kind of like oh, extreme conservative who's forcing her ideas on a child while also happening to be in a screwball comedy from the 30s yeah. in terms of acting style both she and Judy are in a movie from 50 years before this. Some drawing room comedy of... Judy is like a Disney villain where she just struts in and... Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Any actress would kill to get to play Judy. Just so you could say the line, She's a real carpenter's dream. <laughs> Flat as a board and needs a screw. <laughs> what? 
person who wrote that dialogue would ever think a teenage girl would phrase something that way. A carpenter's dream. You know what would be great is if, you know how they gave Ricky free reign to curse? They Same with her. They're like, I want you to go away, think of some figures of speeches, do some research, find a couple of expressions. Dad... If she was like Arlie Ermey in Full Metal Jacket, where she came up as just like her school like bully, she's like, "Believe I got some, and I'll I'll dole them out in the scene." Or she went to her dad, is like, "Dad, I need to come up with some expressions. Can't you see I'm busy building a house?" Yeah, just give me one. Okay. Well, on the job side, this is what we sometimes say. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of um, in fourth grade we got um, the the going to your dad to to get information or something. Um, in fourth grade, it was the first time we were like writing down notes for in our notebooks about uh, about drugs. It was like to battle the drug prevention program is also you learn everything about drugs and what they do. Which I don't know. Maybe that was the right thing to do. But I remember, like, as a fourth grader, like, writing down in my notebook, like, Benny's. Oh, my God. Like, like, they got into, like, the street lingo? Yeah. And wow, we're going to take a test. This is so weird at a Catholic school for a fourth grader to be learning Benny's. That is unbelievable. And I learned that the teacher called them beanies. <laughs> Like okay. mistakenly or because she he, just was calling them beanies and I go home <laughs> and I'm running. This, I haven't thought about this in ever that my dad were, we're studying together so I can take my test the next day on the drug terms and I'm calling them beanies. And my dad goes, Oh, they're not beanies. They're bennies. And I go, Oh, the next day at school, I raise my hand. I'm like, oh, my dad says they're Bennies. And then as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should be like letting everybody know my dad's correcting the how to pronounce drugs. My dad says they're Bennies, and he says they're great. <laughs> Up to a point, they're not that bad. If used wisely. Just like, he says, just like any drug, as long as you don't abuse it. It's like, oh, uh, no, my dad, uh, he is a uh, 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 true square when it comes to, yeah, he was a guy living in Iowa. Yeah. I think he just knew from Serpico or something. <laughs> They're called Betty's. <laughs> um, but um, I'm sure, yes, Angela went and was like, dad, what's a, a good put down? And then he went, or Judy's dad. Yeah. And he went, oh, my actress daughter, you should use Carpenter's Dream as the... Um, so many good characters, though. We've mentioned them. Uh, and then, yeah, Ronnie the Muscle Man. Ronnie the Muscle Man. Is very kind. Yeah. yeah. And then, have we left anybody out? Well, there's, there's just kind the, of like, random counselors and stuff. bevy of bullies, you know, like all kinds. Oh, right, like Billy. Billy. Um, Sean, Sean, is that Kenny? One? Kenny, M Mike is the one in the pink shirt. Who's the, the preppy? One of the bevy of the boys. Yeah. yeah, the preppy. Yeah, and then there's Paul, the friend. Oh, of course, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Who was a child and ac actor in other things? Oh, what else was he in? Um, did you ever see that uh, John Lithgow movie about the kid who is a science genius who creates an atom bomb? Is like the oh, Manhattan Project, the Philadelphia Experiment. Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's where I recognized him from. I did recognize him, and I didn't know where. Yeah, and then I think as an adult, he was like um, in the like 
Langoliers miniseries and stuff. Yeah, he, he of all the actors here is not too bad. And no, Rick, he's Ricky's good. not too bad either. Yeah, and then there's a moment when like the we were just talking about those bullies, the Billy, Kenny, and Mike. Yeah. When they were talking, I was like, oh, these three are all they love acting, they're in theater programs, yeah. they get to be in a movie and they're giving like good performances. Yeah, and I, I though I did worry a bit, like because of this time and the like the nature of this story that I had a feeling like behind can't like uh, when they're not shooting i'm not saying one for one for their characters but there was probably a lot of bullying going on i did actually read that somewhere someone was like i think mean to someone and it did i was worried that like this is probably the climate that's actually happening at the time probably because the director is like fostering it and i mean that's pure conjecture but exactly dude like a summer camp is already going to be have some bullying yeah but then when you add like the weird hierarchy totem pole click thing that happens just for adults in yeah. movies, yeah. layering that over summer camp, those kids probably were real dicks I know. to each other. And did you read where Jane Krakowski was going to play? She was, she was going to be Judy. Judy, yeah. And then dropped out, which... Either... I can only imagine yeah. her parents read the script yes. and were like, Curly Dyard? Yeah. Like, we're not doing this. And uh, have you seen what this movie's... Just everything in this movie? (laughs) Yeah, everything. Uh, And Jane Krakowski, I think that was the year she was in Vacation. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if it was like a choice where she had to make the two, but it seemed like she... she what if they, the right like, horse? Star Wars and Carrie, they held auditions for Vacation and Sleepaway Camp, and it's like, <laughs> it's down to Judy, or the girl who plays Judy and Jane. Uh, well, let's put Jane in Sleepaway Camp. Okay, we'll take this girl for Vacation. And for uh, Ricky or Rusty, we have Jonathan Tiersten or Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> and Robert Hilton. it's like, I call Anthony Michael Hall. We talked about this already. <laughs> and for Mel, we'll put Chevy and Mel. <laughs> And Beverly D'Angelo is Aunt Martha. And, and uh, vacation's like, looking no, pretty no, good. I got Beverly D'Angelo. <laughs> and they're like, and you want to take Chevy? He's like, okay, I'll take Chevy. <laughs> Clark Griswold. I, I actually want Mel Miasi to play Clark Griswold. But <laughs> I would love to see the entire movie of Vacation populated with the actors of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, my God. <laughs> Those are similar titles. Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Vacation. Yeah. You're right that there maybe is a bit of a sinister element to Sleepaway Camp, like Sleepaway could yeah. mean Because that was death. never a term. I learned that term later when people I knew that weren't from California used to call it Sleepaway Camp. Because I never went to camp, but it was always like whenever kids went away, there's I'm going to camp. Oh, yeah. It's a total, I think, East Coast term. This movie should be called like Waiting Online. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. For the East Coast. We were waiting online to get in there. That's a crazy way to put I'm waiting in line. Yeah. Anyway. Online. To say I'm waiting online. But as soon as 1995 came around and the World Wide Web introduced, like, people, you had to let go of online. It didn't make sense to no, begin with. But I now know. you're still saying we're waiting on line? And this is a gross generalization, but this movie has an East Coast spirit too, where like sometimes that East Coast meanness really works in a movie. 
but I sensed it in this and like this just felt East Coast to me, yeah. New Jersey, or you sometimes get that in in Boston, that kind of just like kids and people are they relate to each other in a kind of more sharp, mean way yeah. than out in the West Coast and I think the Midwest too. Yes. Like well, they're nicer so, on those in yes. those parts, for better or for worse. Like who knows? But Yeah, I mean this was definitely like I'm watching this in high school before I didn't go to New York until two thousand five. So when I was watching this, it was like I'm watching a movie from another country. It's yeah. just like a, 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 just in terms of location, things look different, but also um, the voices. Like yeah. when uh, Mike goes, <laughs> the picture guy goes to Angela at one point. He goes, "What's the matter? Can't you talk?" I know. Uh, and I should say. Oh my God, I love the East Coast. I love so many people from the East Coast. I'm married to somebody from the East Coast who says, I went to sleepaway camp. That's the term oh, she uses. And she lo- uh, my wife, Leslie, loves the movie Sleepaway Camp. She has a tattoo of the movie Sleepaway Camp. What tamp? What, I mean, what, what tamp? <laughs> I mixed tattoo and camp because I wanted to get, I was going to say what tattoo of sleepaway camp. And I did a welcome to Jamaica. Have a nice day. Condensation of it. <laughs> no, but it was good because, uh, language is fluid. <laughs> Thank camp. You. A, a sleepaway camp tattoo is a tamp. Yeah. And that's the street term for a sleepaway yeah. camp tattoo. People go, what tamp do you got? What is her tamp? It's the, um, the uh, poster art of the like knife going through the Adidas oh my Nike, God, that not is a Nike, cool, yeah, shoe. Yeah, that's another win for this movie. Like in terms of oh, that poster is amazing. That and the Mozart. back of the box is so funny because it's a letter uh, home. I think they use it for the trailer too. But it's like, dear mom and dad, I'm at camp and things are getting very scary. <laughs> and, and you're reading it, and then at the end it says something like. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, wait, there's something behind me. <laughs> like, who, who would write that in a letter before turning around and be like, oh! Um, okay, I know there's something behind me. Uh, I'm f- afraid for my life, but if you could just give me a second, I'm not going to turn around right now. I want to finish this Hello Mudda letter. <laughs> and presumably... That letter was received by the parents. They also like put it in the envelope and licked it and put the stamp on it. This is like when that blogger in Friday the 13th uploads his video after he's killed. (laughs) (laughs) um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, what did I say? You said Friday the 13th, Oh, man. And I was thinking thinking (laughs) neat, which is short for Nightmare on Elm Street. I wasn't thinking freenth. Uh, should we take a yeah I was just thinking what uh, is it uh, um, well in this movie I don't have to do this I just have to pee but oh, Billy God. does say I have to take a wicked dump should, should we take a wicked camp <laughs> yeah wicked camp okay we'll be right back with Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With and We're back. We're back. So um, right before we came back, we were just saying... Uh, uh, fond memories of sleepaway camp uh, uh, um, that this filmmaker had and wanted to make this movie as a Valentine. Needed to story. tell his story. Yeah. And you mentioned you didn't go to camp. No, I never did. Um, and uh, 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 I didn't go to camp. I went for one week to a camp that I found out was a Bible camp. Oh. It was like a Catholic. But did your parents know that? Yeah. It was like, but the church, I knew going in, I just didn't know how churchy it was going to be, but it was like two masses a day. Good Lord. And it Literally. was the disappointment of like, oh, movies, there's another camp out there that is, exists <laughs> I see in this. reality. Yeah. What kid could be sent to that? And they have to be aware of that other camp out there. And Leslie, my wife, has such fond memories mm. of camp and she shares them with me and I wish I had it. It just sounds like a really yeah. kind of idyllic experience for kids. So, uh, maybe watching Sleepaway Camp does let me have, go back to a time that I never got to experience. Yeah. Which is, uh, um, but I do, yeah, uh, this is how we usually do it, right? We, before our first bathroom break, we kind of talk broadly about the movie, but yeah. we want to get into the movie. Yeah. Now. And I have three pages of notes. Okay. Uh, what was your first, uh, <laughs> well, first note? Well, I think it would be anybody's first note, and that is that just, we can talk more about it, in fond memory of mom, a doer. So it also <laughs> definitely implies she's passed away. Right, the memory. But who knows with this guy? No, maybe it's like a psycho thing where uh, he thinks she's uh, existing right now and he's dressed as her. I didn't even think about the psycho of this all. Of the like, yeah. Yeah. Norman dressing up as his mom and then the reveal is that he he's dressing up as her. That's yeah. a little bit of a psycho. And I mean, that also, I think, kind of lends itself to the path of just like, ah, it's horror. You, you gotta put in a sex twist. Right, yes. Does it have a sex twist? Not interested. <laughs> but you know what's great about it? I, I don't mind that end of uh, Psycho that people shit on. Of yeah, like, I don't either. The, where the psychologist describes it. Um, that long scene where he describes it. I'm like, eh, whatever, it's cool. Uh, this movie actively is not that, like that how we talked about it. It's just like, it ends on her green tinted face going like, I showed up. And what, then, is, what was that? Oh, I think you could hear her go, I showed Oh, I didn't catch that. I heard Ronnie going like, he's a boy. She's a boy. She's a boy. I don't believe it. 
This Holy is, shit! I've Sit been, on it! <laughs> I've been given the worst line of exposition in cinema history. <laughs> me, Ronnie, they gave it to me! Can you believe it? Ma, Pa, I got the most ham-handed <laughs> line of exposition in cinema history! Me, little Ronnie, from Roanoke, New Jersey! Ah, tell everyone! Extra, extra! <laughs> the fact that, yeah, the exposition even isn't Angela's a boy. It's she's a boy. Yeah, and it yeah. felt to me like the line really is she's a boy, in case you can't tell because A, the lighting's a little weird, B, um, this mask on this man makes it look like possibly because he's holding a knife, it's a bone knife, and there's an escape Neanderthal, and that's been the killer all along. Or you're just thinking, how could this possibly be the end of the movie? Let me set it straight for you, Ronnie, king of exposition. We'll be right back. Oh, my God. Um, well, we jumped ahead, but... Well, yes. Well, <laughs> it was fun, though. Just uh, his, just a doer. Just that choice of words tells you you're in for something left of center. Not like mom who could do anything or was a go-getter or was a real force of nature. A doer. But it makes me think like maybe that was like a term they used in his family. Like his mom was just like, I'm a doer. I'm always out. I'm shopping. I'm picking yeah, up the kids. Yeah, it's like a... a, a yeah, is that a word you want on your epitaph, <laughs> on your tombstone? A, a doer? doer. A person who found a way to fill up the time. Because <laughs> it doesn't even really necessarily mean accomplish, accomplisher. Yeah, because... just, a, I did it. Because, right, a doer is task. more like a, a, an ongoing task doer, as opposed to, like, I doubt it meant, like, a doer of... Good deeds. Yeah, it doesn't say did things well. She just did things. She did. Th Mom did things. Let's start this. She movie. is a doer. <laughs> she do things. Oh my uh, mom! Boy, would she do things. Boy, would she do things. Like one time, she um, picked me up from school. One time she uh she do the dishes. That was a doer. <laughs> One time she woke up in the morning, went to sleep at night. You believe that shit? My mom. My mom of all people. Oh, if I ever make a movie, I'm gonna dedicate oh. that movie to her and that specific quality of her doing. <laughs> Just I'm going to finish this movie no matter what. I'm going to do this movie. I don't care if it's good. I'm going to do it because that's what that's you what know, old mom would have done. That's how I took it when I would read it. Um, in a, When I'd see the movie, it would be like, the reason I got this movie made, the reason this movie is happening is because like my mom, I'm a doer. That's how I like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I think you're right. That. Like yeah, I'm a yeah. chip off the old mom block. Doer block. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes from that dedication to... Maybe the best production yeah. studio logo ever for the, um, let me get the name right, uh, <laughs> the American Eagle Films Corp, which so sounds like a communist operation, like when you're trying to like be trusted as an American. We're the, <laughs> the American Eagle <laughs> Film Corp. There's nothing shady going on here. The logo was like, an eagle behind a camera, like framing a shot, <laughs> like using his 
is what are those called of a bird? Uh, not the wings, the end of the wings, talons, or I don't know, his wingtips to like oh, yeah. frame a shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of our films are directed by American eagles. I, I say that not to brag, more to just justify something about the film you're about to see. Some, a film that looks like it was directed oh, by an eagle. That's totally it. You put this. Yeah, this is like what the most evil people in the world do. They wrap themselves in a flag, so like to protect themselves from the uh, insanity yeah. that they're about to show. Like, <laughs> it was like, this movie can't be that bad. An American Eagle made this movie, you dope. <laughs> Are you gonna. Are you going to insult an American Eagle Films Corp, corp production? I even forget the name. But you oh. can't do it. You might as well insult Eisenhower. When you were talking about the um, the sort of uh, the the quality, the personality uh, quality that I love of uh, um, on the East Coast, I've thought about it, um, and again, said with love, um, I envy people who get to do improv um, uh, at the UCB in New York because uh, when I've gotten to see improv shows at the UCB in New York when you do um, like a New York character in an improv scene you get to check off like five boxes immediately just go with me on this which so, is yeah. like um, the audience goes I know that guy that, that's the guy at the end. You automatically right. have a, a connection of a local who everybody's on board with. Like, I know that guy. So you have a connection as a performer and audience. Yeah. And then secondly, you get to do the funny thing of a funny voice. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a great character mm-hmm. to play. And then the third part, maybe there's only three boxes, <laughs> is, <laughs> is that's who, when you're in an improv scene, it's a really... Uh, advantageous or I should say active character in a scene because Mm. you're listening and responding in a way that is constantly active and emotional and reactive. Yeah. And I've thought about like, Oh, in Los Angeles, when I'm doing an improv show, what are my, what's my toolkit? Mm. Who's the local that I play that A, the audience goes, that's who that person is. That is even B, fun to play. And C, has any sort of agency at all in a scene. All it could be is just somebody being like, dude, we went to the satellite and saw so-and-so yeah. play. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah, it's not like a stoner slacker of some kind, and it's very passive. And it yeah. ends up having to be, in some ways, kind of like a showbiz cultural critique rather than in New York, the local is just an everyman. Yeah. In in L.A., it's, it has to be like a particular stoner surfer character. Oh, man, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so when I'm watching Sleepaway Camp, I'm also like, God, they all get to play fun characters. They're like all, yeah. They are really recognizable, too, because even though I, not only did I not grow up on the East Coast, didn't have any real association with it till I was an adult, Ooh. but accents aside there were versions of those guys at school like I said that would say kind of things like that and they would be kind of mean and it wasn't even that they were bullies because they were just Mm -hmm. acting the way they thought you were supposed to act 
Yeah. It, there were bullies and then there were like these guys, you know, mm -hmm. that were just kind of like, you just, everyone's mean to each other. And that's, I, again, like that's not, I'm not saying that's what East Coast people are. I'm just saying there was this group of boys like that when I was a kid. And, and yeah, no, that's same. what this movie reminds me of. I think we maybe talked about it once in the podcast. I remember just like fifth and sixth grade, just, I love my group of friends and stuff, but it was like a, a couple summers where you just had to be like, Every two weeks, I'm going to have to be the person who eats shit for a couple of days and gets teased and yeah. made fun of. And if you get, if you react and you're a baby about it, it makes it worse. So you just got to fucking ride with it and it sucks. And I'm glad it ended. Yeah, I hate it. And I would, to this day, I look over a fence and I see how people can interact in that way. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad I never got in that because it, I can't. It's just, it, it is more true of like teenagers and boys. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> What's the, do you think that um, I when you were just describing it right now, like oh that kid always kind of exists. Does that exist now? Do you think like a, it has to like the the fourteen year old group? There's a couple of the maybe it's not even gendered boy or girl. It's just like the person who. What would you say is like a bomb thrower? It just has to, a, like, even if it's just relative, and I hope right, it's much relative. better. I'll bet it's worse in ways we don't know, mm -hmm. in different ways. But I bet this version of it has lessened quite a bit. But relatively, there's always an alpha and an omega of a group, even if yeah. it's in just small degrees. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's fascinating. <sighs> yeah. Because the, right, the way, because you were saying bully, the way that Judy's a bully, like the way the, light has been shined on bullying. I don't know if that makes like the cockroaches scurry out of the light. <laughs> they still survive. They just do it now in insidious ways. They must, right? And yeah. It also makes me wonder what happened to Julie in the year since the year before where they talk about like he, she and Ricky had such thing. I want to sleep away camp prequel where we get to see Sweet Judy. I think that might be one of my favorite aspects of this movie is the kind of like Star Wars world building of like throwing out just a <laughs> phrase like I beat them at the uh, uh, the uh, what's the Han Solo pa classic? Oh, uh, the he Kessel Run. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, it's the Han Solo classic. That's what it became when the corporations got back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he comes out. And he's like a hundred years old, anyways. <laughs> it's the Han Solo classic. Right, everybody. The oh, for me, the Kessel Run line in this is like, um, "Hey, have you seen Judy since last summer?" Uh, well, maybe this is kind of unsavory because they're talking about her like breast size and stuff. Yeah, but for like, sure. But the idea that her and Ricky were an item beforehand yeah. is like, well, what's that about? And then how does Ricky feel when he sees Paul, his best friend, kissing Judy later? That's not just Angela's hurt pain there. That's Ricky's pain too. I mean, maybe that's more justification for your theory that Ricky is out there doing some of the murdering in a, in a bump it wig. <laughs> Well, and under that bumpet wig, does he have a, the brain that's even considering Paul's feelings about uh, if if Ricky knows Angela's Peter, he has to have some sort of feelings about his best friend. Yeah. Uh, well, even if he doesn't know Angela's a boy, 
just the idea that your best friend's dating your cousin who now is your basically your sibling who lives with you. I'm saying that's a psychological aspect of this movie that wasn't very well explored. No, because I think I think the movie's asking us to believe Ricky doesn't know that yeah. Angela is Peter because it just doesn't seem to go below surface level on anything. So I just think there's just no subtext in this movie. Literally none, right? Does well, anybody have? I mean, I know. No, no. The, 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 right. The characters, the movie it, on screen don't have the subtext, but I feel like this movie is all like the filmmakers, like. Yeah, it's unintentional subtext. That's what's so brilliant about it. Bringing it back to the Titanic thing, like the big iceberg. <laughs> the little tip of the iceberg is the movie, but everything underneath the iceberg is <laughs> this man's like broiling up passions and, and, and fantasies. Like the cultural wake that it left in like <laughs> in movie nerddom, like the way we sit and talk about this movie. Is yeah. Incredible. Holy moly. I mean, this movie's a doer. It's a doer of many things. <laughs> and when I saw the movie, I didn't know the, the twist. My friend DJ Rudin owned the video and he saw it and it so didn't was, tell anybody. What was your reaction? Like, do you remember the first time? Oh, just, when it came on screen? My mouth was dropped as much as Angela's is in that, that <laughs> You put mask. on a mask of yeah. a dropped mask. I was with probably five people who didn't know the ending. Oh and when it God. happened, we just all went, Whoa! We launched up and we're like squirming around the room because for DJ too, who knew the ending, he had to be just so thrilled with like, they think this is bonk. This movie is bonkers with what it's doing. Cause we're reacting to everything like, Oh my God, she's got it. Her dads are gay lovers. And yeah. then she, they were killed and she got adopted. Like that's already like such a wild thing. And then that twist um, is just like, well, well, kudos to DJ for not spoiling it for you guys. Like that's, well, and then that's the fun of showing people in college who don't know the twist. Um, and I realized when we were going to the bathroom, right? Uh, not because I was going to the bathroom, but I realized, <laughs> you know, in Rocky Horror, they call like people who had are seen it for the first time versions. Yeah, because uh, the characters in the movies are virgins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Somebody who has seen Sleepaway Camp for the first time, we call them baldies. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're gonna watch Sleepaway Camp. We got a couple baldies. It'll be fun. Look at the like, see the twist. Hey, I, as your designated furry, I'm gonna mentor you <laughs> through this process. <laughs> Bro, hold my hand. You're a baldy. I'm a furry. Um. So then, okay. So after the American Eagles Film Corp logo is the um, credit sequence with voices over it now I should say this is a, like whether it's effective or not this is one moment where I do think the filmmaker understands artistic interpretation of some kind because like, that's yeah. an interesting choice why he stops there for the rest of the movie I don't know it's a very effective atmospheric opening credits maybe the editor did that I'll bet the editor yes because it does then like make the other stuff that comes after it immediate laughter more incompetent and crazier because you saw this kind of like interesting opening uh the thing that's crazy about the credits too is it ends with the sign camp arawak sheriff's notice camp closed so it's right. almost as if this is present day i think it is and we're gonna go to a the whole movie is a flashback to why it, it got closed which is 
weird. But they don't do a, a eight and a half years ago to tell the origin story of the children, which will then they will go eight years later on. And then I think you need a half year to get you where you are in the opening titles. Right. They just do the eight years later from the present day to flashback, then to the flash flashback, which yeah. is the movie. Yes. Uh, and then when it says eight years later, did you like the like printed on t-shirt font of the eight years later? It looks like it should say like the <laughs> uh, Pizza Hut Tigers yeah. or something on a jersey. <laughs> uh, uh, um, also, the way the title comes up, Sleepaway Camp, and it's just like, <laughs> I know that score. It's doing a lot of work. The score kind of reminds me a little bit of the Brood score. All yeah, me too. to Howard Shore, which is just like, it's over-cranked or something. Yeah, me too. It's really there. And it has kind of a TV movie, like, quality this to it. This whole thing did. The whole thing had a look of a TV movie. It felt like Bad Ronald. It felt like, oh, this is an after-school special, except only visually on and sonically. On Spice like, TV? <laughs> on the Spice Network, the after-school special. This is an after-school special, except... They're not teaching a morality lesson. They let the worst kid in school make one. <laughs> this is like a scared straight sort of thing. I'm like, you could end up becoming this if you don't play by the rules, kids. This was an after school special for after school specials. I'm like, look, if you don't make yourself the best kind of after school special, this is what you'll end up being. Well, the, the TV movie portion, I think, is, and the after-school special is also the fade-outs and fade-ins feel very, like, commercial breaky in the movie, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, then, okay, so then, uh, yeah, after the credits, and you hear different dialogue from the movie playing over it, um, we go to the, the early flashback, um... <laughs> With, with the boating accident. Oh, okay. Um, so, the two actors, <laughs> actors, who are playing the guy driving the boat and the girl who wants to drive the boat. Yeah. <laughs> you don't often get that kind of community theater level <laughs> acting in movies, but it is like my one of my favorite types. Is that kind of like, um, what is, she goes, let me drive the boat. Oh, yeah. My old man lets me drive the boat. And he goes, yeah. And is your old man going to get me a job when I get fired? And she goes, it's the perfect community theater lie delivery. Lighten up, would you? <laughs> when you go from that into Aunt Martha, I did think that... This whole movie is going to be like a 30s screwball delivery. Of like, <laughs> say, what do you say? Could I just wait a minute? Do you mean to say, say? <laughs> Why, I ought to. Oh, my. I, I couldn't believe that. It's, it's, um, do you think it's, they're drawing from a, well, with those two, they're drawing from a pool of like amateur actors or something. But like Aunt Martha, is it just because she's like, that's how she acts in community theater plays? I, or is she off-Broadway, like, I bet kook? He, like, the, her only direction was, like, she's, you know, uh, peppy and head in the clouds, and her version of that is like, oh, I did something like that in Starlight Express, or <laughs> in the Roanoke community, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. I don't know. Because this I, movie, that's a good question. when you're the, watching it for the first time, 
the sort of weird bullet train zero to 80 and like the first two minutes thing that happens of like atmospheric opening credits, incompetent action suspense scene of like a boat going over another boat and killing a man. <laughs> it's so you can't, it's indecipherable what's happening. It sure the performances is. are bonkers. To then the next scene of the Aunt Martha kamikaze like acting style. I mean, I'm not saying this with any irony whatsoever. It is like one of my favorite performances in a movie. It's it incredible. Is so wild. Do you think I could see where she also got to set and they're like, here's your costume? And she's like, oh, I had this character wrong. Okay, I'll do this. You know, because the costume is. It's incredible, first of all. But it suggests a character. It, it suggests one of the Joker's goons. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a a beret? It's not quite a beret or like a chef's toque. I don't know. It's like an artist's, you know, like an yes. old-timey artist's floof. I don't know what well, it has. The, the artist, other artist, old-timey artist quality has is like she's wearing like a striped shirt. Yes. It seems yeah. like she should be holding like a little, uh, uh, one of those painters um, with the different dots on them that you can. Oh, like a paint by numbers? Wait, what? The thing you hold. Oh, a palette? Palette. Yeah. Boy. But then it also makes me worry they didn't give her this costume. She's like, don't worry, I've I've got what's perfect for this character. And she just brought all this to the table. It does seem a little bit like an outfit that an actor would just be, I bought a new outfit, I'm going to be in the movies, wear this cool outfit I like. Or I went out and bought an outfit yes. for this film. Yes. You know, it's an excuse. Don't worry, you don't have to reimburse me. Wait till you see what I got planned. Oh, this old thing? <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, so then... I can't imagine somebody watching this for the first time that first six minutes, just how it hits you. Well, let me tell you, it, it blew me away. When that boat accident happens, which you can see coming, but the quick cuts after the collision is amazing because the, the shot of the boat going over them, then they cut to the man on the beach. who John. John? Okay. No, he says John. They cut to okay. him a close-up, yeah. a la M.E.G. May. Yeah. He goes, John. And then they cut right to the two kids in the boat looking back going like, oh my God, but the boat is 100% still in the water. Like they have made a zero to 60 to zero stop with no way. They the just, ends. they just stopped. And when that boat goes over, I think it's too clear like mannequins who are them. And then <laughs> yes, and the boat immediately stops. I never thought about that. And then they're looking and while everybody is kind of in this like portrait mode of just stillness, including that boat. Uh, there's one actor who's losing her mind who's just going, there's a boat! Oh my God! And the actress who's getting pulled. <laughs> I forget about the water skier who can see it all. She's the eyes of God. But I have to hand it to the movie and how they set that up, whether the execution or not is good, but the two distracted kids are looking back at the water skier and she's trying to warn them, which keeps them looking at her like, what's she saying? Oh, that's true. Yeah, so this the geography that was set up was brilliant. Hitchcock-esque. Yes, I mean, the Spielbergian geography and storyboard <laughs> cause and effect is amazing. That could be used, though, to good effect in another movie. Is yeah. The person behind you is trying to alert you to the thing, but you keep looking back at the, yeah, yeah. that's good. But the amount of confusion it sets up is both like, 
perfect for what you need to go on with the movie, but doesn't feel like it knows how well it's doing it or doing it the right way. Because I'm not asking who's this man to this man. I'm just thinking, oh, that's an unrelated man on the beach watching this. Even, but, but when you first see him, it's so uh, theater of the absurd. He's like wearing striped Beetlejuice, <laughs> like black and white striped tight, tight swim trunks. And he's like, John, we got to go. Aunt Martha's going to be here. Or, or Martha's going to be here. So is, is he? This is where it's interesting because who is he? Who and is where does he go? <laughs> and why? Because one of the kids was killed. Is he not in the picture anymore? I think, hmm, one of them, I think, is the ex-lover of, no, because one of the kids goes, Aunt Martha's coming? Well, the ex-lover of... Of Aunt Martha. Oh, I wondered that, too. But it can't be John, because... Right. Aunt, he's either related by blood or by marriage to Aunt Martha as an in-law. Right, and one of the kids goes, Ricky's coming? So Ricky and Aunt Martha are already a pair, but who's Ricky's father? I think that this guy's just his lover. Mm -hmm. There's no no evidence to suggest that he's part of this family. And I think that's further evidenced by the fact that he doesn't get custody of the kids in any way, or the kid. I see. He's just out of the picture because he's like, oh my, Which made me think, is he coming back as the killer? I actually, for a minute, was like, is Ronnie that guy in disguise? But then mm. I did a little wigdar work and found out, no, that's Ronnie's real hair, so it can't be. It is Ronnie's real hair. Yeah. You knew that mane. Yeah, although it's not the sheriff's real mustache in that second scene. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> that's your entryway into mush stash dar. Stash dar? Yeah. I think that's a real mustache from beginning <laughs> to end, and I think you're wrong. I think it's not just wrong like you're incorrect you're like morally wrong to say (laughs) suggest uh yeah aunt martha's performance just if anybody hasn't watched it there's just one of uh my favorite um ricky asks aunt martha did you pack any chips she goes why of course i believe there's a whole bag (laughs) (laughs) then she puts her hand to her chin and thinks to a private thought to herself she goes why, yes. I'm almost sure of it. Yeah, it's like she's acting in children's theater. Yes. A lot of, like, she does a lot of, like, soliloquizing. Like, yeah. now where would mm. I be? And Mel does that at some point, too, where he's just narrating his emotions. That's like nobody has any subtext. Yes. Like, oh. Maybe. Yeah, he goes, at one point he goes, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've noticed, I never noticed this before watching it until now. Three or four different people, a sign of a great writer, is when three or four different characters all say the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, they say to Angela, what's the matter with you? Oh my god. So, oh, and then uh, Aunt Martha, I remember the lore when Sleepaway Camp came out and I was digging online in the late 90s. People thought Aunt Martha was maybe a man. Because she holds up her hand with the string. She goes, I put a string on my finger. And people thought she has like, that was an indication that she has man hands. Why? Because they are kind of big. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But that was like the Wild West of the late 90s online with Sleepaway Camp fandom. You thought maybe Aunt Martha was... (gasps) 
It was the Some lost people thought Ant Barton was the director. I remember there was like, like theories. Like he, that was him. He was. He was Aunt Martha. He was dressed up as Aunt Martha. Robert Hiltzik. Wait, but that's so clearly a woman. Well, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about when when I I, I must have watched it wrong when when the boat accident happens. I thought they show the <gasps> the girl surviving. They show the back of a head, a kid like squirming. Uh, and I just it's hard to tell if the, the hair is long or short. Okay, I must have just seen it that way. So when they revealed that... It's when they first start putting out the mystery. Oh boy. Like, who, who did oh survive boy. there? Was that Peter? Yeah, we're not going to so much lay breadcrumbs on the path. We'll just give you a path. A number of paths. Oh, it is really adorable in this movie how they try to like set up red herrings and stuff when there's no pause. Like you see the killer's hands in the point of view, like push Artie and it's a child's hands. Mm -hmm. And then in the next scene, they're trying to have like show Mel's covering it up to be like, eh, maybe Mel is the killer. It's like, we know Mel is not the killer. Yeah. He does not have children's hands <laughs> and he's not three feet tall and coming up behind Artie and pushing his butt. It's so weird too that Artie doesn't die. Yeah. Again, this is a true. I just said this, but like I, it was one of these things having watched it 30 times and it was the first time I was like, I've never thought about this. Artie doesn't die and he still has the ability to eventually speak. He knows who pushed him. Why doesn't he go, hey, it was Angela. Presumably he has spoken to that very real mustachioed police officer and said, it's this girl, Angela. Granted, she had motive, but I just, just for the record, because you're asking me, is her. I looked back and I saw her do it. I spoke to her. Now, yes, she does have a motive. I'm a gross dude. <laughs> Do you want to hear some of the things I said to her? So I'm not going to press charges, but just so you know, she tried to kill me. And if any, what? It's a day later. More people have died. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I can't. I don't know why I never saw that big plot hole of Artie can talk about the killer. Um, um, the um, oh the the other thing when the. Um, kids go off to camp and Aunt Martha wishes them well. Do you like their luggage or like two bowling bags? Oh, I didn't notice that. It's like, it looks like they're going to spend a day, not even a night at this God, camp. I couldn't get past what they were wearing because it was exactly what I wore as a kid. And then also that the, the camp t-shirts, because they're made by this low budget movie, were so thin they were like rice paper that would melt with sweat but that's how it would have been at camp and then they had painters caps which were such a thing at this time yeah those painters caps yeah, what just is like just disposable hats that had any company's logo on it at the time and they were big i i had a painter's cap everybody did could be like a radio station painter's so cap. much of the fashion was like um correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like just like a hair from just falling apart and be like, because you thin flip flop kind of like thongy, uh, not thong, a bathroom shower shoes, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we did and then, call like, them thin thongs high back then. shorts. We did and call then, them thongs. 
Was that thongs? We, we yeah. did call them thongs. Right. Yeah. In right, fact, right. I did that well into my 30s, and people would laugh at me, and I'd be like, I better change that. But the, they do call them thongs. They right? did. That's yeah. what they were called where I grew up. That's what they were called. And then the, I, I'm more thinking of like, were these slasher movies made at the time because it was just scary because people's fashions made their skins more exposed? So much, yeah. Like the that one guy, counselor is not just wearing a cutoff shirt. It's like basically a neck choker with <laughs> with two armholes. It, it's all midriff. It's and crazy. What a midriff. I it know. is like so furry. <laughs> He's a real mentor. Nobody would do a, wear a midriff now, but if they did, they'd make sure their tummy wasn't as well. Hey, if anybody wants to wear a midriff with their furry tummy in 2021, do you? I yeah. love it. Yeah. Godspeed. I had some cutoff shirts when I was a kid that had like. Hawaii football jersey cut off. They just said Hawaii and then like the number 80 and then it cut off. But I would have been in like sixth grade wearing them. Isn't that weird? Like a sixth, sixth grade little guy just, you got to check out these abs. And I, not only did I not have abs, I, all I had was abs. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't muscle. It was just right. sinew. Yes, yes, like, yes. It was the muscle and skin upon the, on your bones. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my torso was like the circumference of a loaf of bread. <laughs> well, it's so funny because we, my time, the, that same time period for me, sixth grade was the fashion was like, Baggy, baggy, baggy. Yeah. So, like, you could kind of um, hide your... People, I think, had a, the benefit of hiding their body a little bit in yeah. kind of baggy clothes. Because yeah. um, uh, it would have been a different time if I had to put on, like, shorty shorts. Or <laughs> I did. It's all yeah. I wore those OP short corduroys, which now I have a couple of those, like, for adults. that, I, And I think I'm wearing them just solely out of nostalgia. You know? I, I have thought about how I'm so um, grateful that of all the years and eras I could have been born into, that um, when I was... 13, 14, and I had my, like, gangly, scrawny body, just skinny, skinny boy. Like, Kurt Cobain and Heroin Chic is, like, cool. Like, I lucked out. I remember, like, not feeling bad about being... I'll read stuff about, like, Kurt Cobain himself being, like, he was so embarrassed of how scrawny he was when he was a teenager. Yeah. I took such pride in my scrawniness because it was, like, what was cool. Because I was in the, like, Schwarzenegger era. Mm. And so... it took me getting to college and actually like filling out, never getting muscular, but filling out finally kind of like into that era of the scrawny thing. And my version of filling out was becoming like basically scrawny because I was so thin and it just felt like, wow, the, a new world is available to me. <laughs> and then what, what, uh, uh, what was the, the fashion that were you some flannel? Some, yeah. Some I was vintage shirts? just as grunge as anybody could be, I guess, which I, I have a theory that, you know, if the nineties are already back, mm-hmm. I'd like to see more grunge because I feel like someone like me who went through that first grunge phase has just been lying in wait like a 17 year cicada of it. For it just, <laughs> Cause I've been doing the version of that, that also like kind of complies with the current standards. So like in the early 2000, it'd be like country Western snap shirts yep. and jeans, you know, it's just yep. whatever will get me through to the next phase of baggy flannel and jeans. 
Yeah, and then that like sort of uh, right. The the Western snap thing is just the same reappropriation as what flannel is, which yeah. is like what manly men wore at another time. And the fact that I'm wearing it now is half. It looks cool because I'm a man and I'm wearing manly stuff, but it's a little ironic. It's got to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the um, uh. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the the f- the flannel that the counselor has on this, the where he goes back to find all the kids brutally mutilated in their sleeping bags. I love that flannel. Yeah, I also I don't know if it's in this movie, but it, it makes me think of I like the um, uh, those <laughs> denim jackets with the sheep fleece. Oh lining. yeah, like a, a brokeback mountain jacket. Yes. Yeah. I do too. That's a cozy cast wardrobe. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. <laughs> uh, the um, so so um, uh, in your notes, uh, are you at the um, point where the kids are arriving at camp? Yeah. Um. So. I really like how excited these kids are to be. They're just running off the bus to get to their cabins? Yeah. Running off the bus, dead sprinting to their cabins, and then it's like forever. It's like for 10 minutes, kids are just like running around. <laughs> um, and then we meet Mel, the cigar chomping oh boy. Uh, camp owner, and then Ronnie, the sweethearted muscle man. Yeah. Um, than Artie. Uh, I did like that the muscle man was sweet and it made me feel like that guy's probably just like that. Yeah. he just played it that way because there's probably nothing in the character that says he's sweet. He's good. He's trying to help. But Well, it's so funny because his level of sweetness is relative to what the movie is and and, uh, because like when he brings, he cares enough about Angela not eating and he's like well let's go find something in the kitchen for you yeah. and then he comes in he sees Artie is drinking a beer at, in the kitchen at work and he even goes like Artie with the beer come on the kids <laughs> and Artie sets the beer aside and then Ronnie despite him being a kind man he is leaving Angela with Artie yeah and like going okay bye it's like well it's kind of I didn't say he was the swiftest one he meant well. He just doesn't always do well, I think. <laughs> but if I was going to have somebody look after me, I think it would. I'd want it to be Artie. Artie. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice in the, the walk-in freezer that whole really troubling scene, there's a, a box of onions called Topless Onions, and that just feels like the director saw that in a corner and went, put that center frame. In what? In the... Like a box of onions in the company is just called Topless Onions. Meaning, like, they probably cut off the top before oh they Oh, my them God, out. yeah. And he's like, get those onions. Oh, yeah. That's in a frame. Billy's going to love this. He's going to be rolling. I'll be back in. Oh, with yeah, Billy with and some the gang. Artists make something and they think about their artist, their audience for him. Yeah. It's Billy. Yeah. Yeah, Billy's going to love this. Billy, who had one of those cutoff shirts, but as high as that is, he's pulled his trunks up so high that his midriff ends up just being his nipple area like his waist is up to his chest and his oh you mid- mean the baseball scene and stuff yeah the, yeah. yeah it's yeah. crazy yeah um which he's wearing that outfit during I would think if you saw this movie 
Well, I'm curious what's the dialogue that maybe has stuck in your brain the most. Uh, but I love the exchange of uh, eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat <laughs> shit and live, live, Bill. That was so existential where I feel like Bill kind of went, wait a minute, if I stop and think about that, I eat shit and then I die. The shit eating isn't going to be with me. I'll be dead. I won't do it. But if I have to live to remember that I ate shit, I'll never forget that I ate shit. <laughs> He, he he beat me. He got me. <laughs> Hiltzik! Billy made me uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. I think it was how mean he is with the, how sexualized he is in this film because he's kind of like... It's like Freddy. Freddy. Like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. It's kind of this like sexualized meanness. You're right because he's grabbing his... Some points he's grabbing his dick. He's going, come here! Yeah, but he himself <laughs> is sexualized too. Like he feels like... I don't know if he's wanting to dress that way or the filmmakers put him like he feels exploited, but he's also part of it. This whole thing. Yeah, if I would have seen this as a kid, it would have like, I would have been not knowing how to process any of this, I think. Well, and then the kid thing too, is it because like the range of what I like about this movie is that the extras are all just like real kids. So you see in like in life, just there are varying degrees of different yeah. types of kids yeah. and stuff. So like, in that baseball scene, there's also a kid who just like has a shaved head, like crew cut fifty style, who's just like sitting there. <laughs> I know. Do you know when they're on the roof throwing water balloons, and they're all these kind of like sixteen year old boys, but then there's just this like one twelve year old headed, headed kid who flips them off, and he's like, "Yeah, see, I'm part of the gang." We called him Shitter because <laughs> he's a little shit. Yeah, he's like, "I want to yeah. be part of the gang." He's and, like someone's little brother or something, and it's so. If this movie doesn't have any connection to real life or any authentic moments of human behavior, it does have those. It has the little kid who you're like, that little shit who's somebody's little brother who hangs out with the kids, older kids, and he has to like overcompensate to hang out. So he's the first one who flips the bird and shit like that. I hate the kids. They're my least favorite. They're the worst. Reminds me, did I tell this story where... I, w- I used to have a bicycle with, with a sidecar on it. <laughs> no. It was made by someone in the neighborhood's dad. It was welded. It was like, we called it a side hack. And so you a, a second person could ride on it. Like it had a <laughs> platform and handles. And then I kitted it out with like a smoke screen and like a, a, a tack dropper. Like I wanted to make it all James Bond. But I got pe- sold to every kid in the neighborhood because it was so unwieldy. You you owned it for like a month before you're like, I can't do anything with this. It was hard to drive. But one time... Every sentence of this is just beautiful. <laughs> it's like a... Oh my God, it's a novel. It's beautiful. It, Keep talking. It was really hard to turn in it. Okay. It was easy to go straight, but hard to turn. So you needed some weaponry on it. But, but the melancholy of this like thing that every kid thinks is going to be awesome and it just gets slowly rotated around the neighborhood and breaks their dreams. It's such <laughs> like a it's metaphor cool. for life. Like, careful what you wish for. It's like, yes, it is a micro, it is the human experience over and over yeah. again. Is everybody going like, I want that. Oh, I got it. It sucks. <laughs> uh, let me give it to the next person. <laughs> okay, anyway. So if I remember this correctly, I was going from my house with the Cole brothers, Mike and Sean Cole, and we were bringing my giant open tub of G.I. Joes, and there's like 50 G.I. Joes and all their weapons. So it's me on the bike, Mike Cole with the tub of G.I. Joes in the side hack, 
and then Sean Cole, I think either walking or on a bike on his own. And we've got like, let's say a 10 minute trek to their house. I'm going to spend the night at their house. And we, this would have been pretty sure junior high. And then we come across this bully guy and his little brother and he's forcing his little brother to fight me. And I don't want to fight. And the kid's younger than me, but he's, and the kid was sadly, he wasn't one of those shitter pricks. He was reluctant, but he didn't want to let down his older brother. The heart of a poet with a bully older brother. We see it all the time. Yeah. And I think (laughs) he knocked over the GI Joes or something. And so then the little kids like come up, start pushing me. And I, and I remember just kind of like wrestling him to the ground, not fighting him and having to go like, see, are you done? Are you done? Do you really want to do this? And I remember doing like a, a kind of like philosophical thing of like, do you really want to become this? And it was so dramatic. Like, does this really the end that you want? Is this the path you chose with no irony or anything? Oh my God, I love it. And he did, we did like diffuse and part and go our separate ways. And I believe the Cole brothers and I played G.I. Joe all night. That is, I would have, that's like a Flannery O'Connor story. That's so beautiful. And rest in peace, Mike Cole. I believe he passed away. I haven't really seen him since the time, but those guys were great. And they were like heavy metal guys, the Cole brothers, but they, like the types where if you didn't know them, you'd think those are bad seeds. And they were just the nicest, Mm -hmm. sweetest guys. They just liked heavy metal. Yeah. It was like one of the first lessons I learned of like, oh, just because someone's got a journey shirt, you know, they do drugs. Uh, (laughs) There doesn't mean they're not only, are they not bad people? They could be wonderful people. Yeah. And it's their outlet to to stay good people, not to stay good people, but it's just like, oh, they're. Although I will say sleepaway camp does not do much for uh, the stereotype of kids that wear heavy metal shirts. No. And (laughs) mulleted too. Kenny's got a blue oyster coat and a nice mullet going on. Uh, some of my favorite stories that people I ever get to hear from people's lives are the, I was forced into a fight thing. Oh. Cause I'll, um, I don't get to hear many of Leslie has a good one, but they always end with both participants going often crying yeah. and going, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I didn't want to do this. No one wants to fight. I think why they're so like sweet to me is like, they do feel like, Oh, most human confrontations are the participants don't want to do it. You just have these outside forces that like push you into this thing that eventually both people are like crying going, I don't want to do this. Yeah, social gladiator battles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I was thinking about it a couple of days ago about, you know, when people are like in college or out of college and they find themselves like in a music scene or something. And then somebody goes, oh, it's like high school all over again. You want to be part of this clique. We all try or, you know, and that, but I was thinking about the more often you have these experiences, you realize like it's not, ugh, we're in high school all over again. It's the first time you experience high school, you go, oh, this is my first taste of human behavior. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is just going to be adult behavior for the rest of my life. It shouldn't be you're in high school all again. It should be when you first experience that as a kid, you go, it's just starting. I'm just saying what you're no, saying. No, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just starting is yeah. the way to say it. Oh, this is just starting. Got it. This is my first real life moment. And then adults <laughs> should be going, oh, it's real life all over again. Oh, we're in real life again. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, okay. Um, 
<laughs> well, the flypaper in the kitchen is too real. Because it's just clearly there in this real kitchen. And not only were there flies all over that thing, but did you notice in whatever, like, terrain below that, there's just flies crawling in the food? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a uh, metaphor for this movie. Yeah. Um, what's the... Do you see those fly strips anymore? They're so no, disgusting. I, I don't think I've ever seen those. I don't know if that itself is kind of an East Coast thing. Um, I saw them growing up where we had like... It might be a a, a, a west of the... Or east yeah, of the Mississippi thing. I don't think we thing. really had fly problems here. We, there are flies, but it was never... We have mosquitoes more than anything. Yeah, and we had those zappers to yeah. drive by on a summer night and see somebody's like weird glowing bug zapper yeah. thing. Um, the fly swatter thing was the main thing I saw all the time. Mm. But uh, And you just see like a gross squished bug mm. in, in the... Uh, but I didn't see those dead flies underneath the fly strip. Oh, yeah. Check it so out. So we got to get the health department to Artie's <laughs> Kitchen. <laughs> Uh, the um, uh, oh, we get the setup of that Judy has moved on from Ricky. Boy, for sure. And he says to himself, "Something. I guess I'm Judy. not good enough for her anymore." Oh no, Ricky, you are. Although you're not going to turn out to be the greatest. You're pretty good. Yeah, Ricky and Judy kind of deserve each other, belong to each other. Yeah, for a while there, you're like, wow, Ricky's he's got some noble blood, but. Is it that they're both fire? <laughs> you need you need uh, some water and fire to cool off the other, yeah. to ke- heat the other one up. Yeah, it's it's like Paul really should be with Judy. Oh no, he ended up being quite a little problem himself. And nobody gets out of this movie unscathed. No, everybody is a turd except uh, Peter. Ronnie. Ronnie's not a turd. Ronnie's not a turd. And and then um, oh, the girl who finds. The counselor who finds Angela with Ronnie. Yeah, Susie. she's sweet. Susan? I don't know. Meg refers to her as the complaint department. She's <laughs> got a problem? She's the complaint department. Uh, my coworker said that at the first day. I'd be like, fuck you. Yeah. All the counselors are good except for, for Meg, right? I, the sweetness of the camp counselors, like in the scene where they're describing capture the flag rules... And like one's describing, he's just being cool. Yeah. He's like laying down the rules, but in a fun way. And then the other counselor's like behind him, giving him buddy ears. I'm like, these counselors, I wish they were my friends. <laughs> I do too. I just wanted the movie to be about them because we haven't talked much about it. But the fact that the, these are like pubescent children often in this movie, actors and characters, it really does, it like, Mm-hmm. I know that the like Friday the 13th, they're over-sexualized and exploitative and all this stuff, but this feels like... The joke a lot like, of times is the actors are in their late 20s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah, played yeah. by people in yeah. their 20s for the most part. This just feels like, oh, director, you don't get it. You, yeah. I know, because he's been on record saying, like, what if it's kids, you know, that's scary. And But he doesn't get uh, it that it's, like, unsavory to sort of put child no because you can't put yourself in these characters shoes the way that it it all happens yes because there's too much um it's not sophistication <laughs> no there's just too no, much adult no it isn't like uh watching too many soap operas yeah that these kids have like the triangle that they're in is like should exist for 
as the world turns, not literally. Because one of the girls has a pinup of Tony Geary, who played Luke on General Hospital, and he's like this. You got if you don't know who he is, Google him from that era because he's one of the most least likely. He's kind of got like a not exactly, but almost like a John Tesh. Yeah, but like, if you gave him, um. Sean Penn's hair from Carlito's way (laughs) (laughs) or Larry from the three stooges (laughs) a charmer (laughs) um the um then uh uh right then we meet Meg we sure do um she says in her first scene to Angela referring she says this to Judy, referring to Angela. <laughs> Looks like we got a real winner here. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, one thing that I do think is interesting about Jane Krakowski being, is she had been Judy? Yeah. The casting makes a lot more sense where it's just, just what happens when a guy who doesn't make <laughs> any movies is making a movie. There's just so many brunettes. I know. It doesn't, like, it would make sense to have Jane Krakowski be Judy, this sort of, like, blonde. Especially because what a blonde was at that time was, like, the alpha, you know, yeah, cheerleader. But, and and scenes where Angela's staring at um, Judy, and if you watch those scenes again, you can kind of go, like, oh, is it sort of, like... Peter's trying to, oh, I'm attracted to Judy and I never I, all I can do is just stare. Don't tell me I need to rewatch this. There are, it, it, the rewatch does have, uh, you go, oh, I see what they're, it's a hint to what's, I see. They're, they're hinting at something, but like, it would just make more sense. It's just weird to see a dark haired girl staring at another dark haired girl who kind of is similar looking. Yeah. But if it had been Angela staring at Jane Krakowski, it just, it would have, but then, it's Angela looking at Judy and then Meg, another dark haired girl comes in and three dark haired, like it's real life, but in yeah. a movie you don't cast like three similar looking actresses to I know. be played three different types. What do you do? I don't no, know. I, I, I can't wrap my head. I, every time you bring something up, I'm now thinking about how Angela's just staring throughout that movie. And I thought it was always just a thousand yard stare of, trauma but I think you're right there is some like of that gaze yeah she's Peter. trying to like contain like I can't show anything but there are really funny ridiculous close ups of her just being completely <laughs> still staring at somebody who's like screaming at her so so still so that when you finally get to the end and she's so still that's not the weirdest thing right that's justified you're like well that's she's been a mannequin through this whole movie oh so. my god um um. Then yes, Artie, uh, Ronnie takes Angela to the kitchen. Um, it's weird that you never see James Earl Jones's father after that scene again. Yeah, after Mel goes, "Hey, I'll pay you more. Just keep this quiet." He's gone. Yeah. Huh? Do you think he still came to set? Just to yeah. like add to the ambiance, like I, I know so. you kids need me as a character here. Well, I'll bet you anything. He's like, you know, my son's Darth Vader. They were dying about that. I bet. I bet those kids were flipping out. Yeah, going, of course they were. That's Darth Vader's dad. Yeah. Um, 
I thought Darth Vader didn't have a dad. I thought his mother, Shmi, carried him, gave birth to him, raised him. If anything, Darth Vader's dad... Now, I've got nothing to back this up, but if anything, Darth Vader's dad is a bunch of midichlorians. <laughs> you could take that to the bank. A kid in 1983. Yeah, and then there's just George Lucas in the trees going, hmm. <laughs> this kid. How do you spell that middle what? <laughs> I think that'll play. Uh, Robert Earl Jones does say in this scene, um, Artie, I'm going to go grab some hay before dinner, which I like as a way to say sleep. Yeah. Because you hit the hay. You hit the hay. But when you take a nap, you grab some hay. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, can we talk with Artie's death? Um, I wish, I think that pot should be bigger. <laughs> I think that pot should be bigger and taller. I thought he was going to fall in. I thought that was the danger. <laughs> That's the only way it makes sense. But I really did. I thought they're setting it up for him to fall in, but I couldn't understand because he wasn't high enough how he was going to fall into this thing. I had no idea it was going to tip over onto him. <laughs> so the logistics of, I mean, him falling in or not, this weird, he's holding onto the shelf. He can't just jump back lead back or jump to the oh, side and then when he does fall over he must take the pot with him <laughs> and she knew all along this was going to happen <laughs> when she pushed his dingy butt his dirty dirty butt with her hands she knew exactly yeah he will like a Rube Goldberg machine this will all have to follow with him now I like the effects of him when he gets burned up yeah the the effects are good in the this movie. The effects are, like, yeah. we'll get to it, but the Kenny drowning prosthetic head with the snakes. Very good. Incredible. Yeah, uh, and then her mask at the end, they don't look, like, when that snake comes out of a mouth, that looks like a real person. For Kenny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her mask at the end, tough to say, because you're dealing with so much, there's a little misdirection of, like, the mask is not what I'm processing right the here. The penises. And just the whole... The exp- just the whole it just that delivers in a way just visually emotionally so impactful but not in the way that the film is intending yes. you know what I mean but it's still hitting with more impact than I think they intended so it somehow works in its own way it's the most unintentionally artful thing I've ever yeah. seen you say it's true which is like the fact that the movie you're I think probably the experience you're having when somebody's watching this whole movie is just like, oh, this is incompetent. This is just like an incompetently made movie. So when that ending comes and that has to hit more as a, a punch in the gut. Yeah, it's like a meta twist or something. I, yeah. I mean, I never met a twist I didn't like. <laughs> what about this one? <laughs> hey, that's a snake burn. <laughs> snake burn. Uh, the, um, snake burn. Oh, I bet you don't even have legs. Uh, <laughs> your rattle sounds like a tooth. Hmm. Rattle? Oh. What are you, a baby? Snake burn. <laughs> MTV's going to have to do a show called Snake Birds where, like, two snakes get into, like... <laughs> <laughs> nice hood, Cobra. Is it raining? Snake burn. <laughs> Sidewinder, what's the matter? Afraid to go in the front door? Snake burn! <laughs> Will Smith is dying right now. <laughs> he loves the snake birds. Yeah. Will, 
It, you know, it's fine. You, you can always be you, but you've kind of been quiet for most of this pod, and it wasn't until snake birds that we actually... Yeah, do you have you? any snake bird? A, no, he doesn't no. want to do it. He does not want... He's like a documentarian. He doesn't want to influence it. He just yeah. wants to watch. That's um, why he's um hides behind a shrub during a lot of these. <laughs> to not influence us. He's in full ghillie suit camouflage right now. <laughs> uh, He's still producing it. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so when Artie dies, and we talked about he could easily um, tell... Have not died. Yes. And it turns out he doesn't die. Right. And we know this because I wrote this dialogue down because this is some all-time bad movie uh, dialogue <laughs> and acting. What's the prognosis, doctor? <laughs> well, he's badly burned all over <laughs> especially his face <laughs> so that's great that just exchange alone is so good then it continues <laughs> Roddy goes how about his eyes <laughs> the doctor goes too early to tell Jesus the pain must be unbearable Roddy goes poor guy must be going crazy the, the doctor this is the last line yeah if he's lucky, <laughs> poor guy must be going crazy. Yeah, if he's lucky. <laughs> Such like dime store novel like dialogue of just like, yeah, he's, he won't feel the pain if he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> if he's saying he's going to be in a world of hurt, you get me? And what doctor that talks like a mercy? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in this film. Um, then Mel tries to cover it up. Sure does. And now he's a suspect or a red herring. Uh, the mind over matter monologue with Mozart. That monologue is pretty long. The yeah. Mozart, by the way, I, I'm with you. I love that name, but it does feel like he should be called Mozart because he like plays a musical instrument. Instead, he's got a little handheld electronic game and a nudie mag. Yeah, that's not the 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 symphony kid I know. Uh-uh. Uh 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 Benji who said this means pepper. He was more of a Mozart <laughs> than he? this kid. Yeah. Uh yeah, a kid who has a handheld boxing game and looks at nudie mags. That's not a Mozart. That's a um what was it? Uh Hey uh um uh Bug dick. <laughs> Snake burn. <laughs> um, bug dick. So when they do that prank on him, uh, we talked about one? that butt. Yeah. Um, we did have different VHS. There's versions, different versions of that float around. Oh, really? Of Sleepaway Camp 1. Collect uh, doesn't have the Yeah, one doesn't have the mom dedication at the beginning. Really? Uh, one has like the... The snake coming out of Kenny's mouth is shortened. The boy's butts when they run down the dock to skinny dip is shortened. So there's like a weird half sanitized version oh. floating around. And when the DVD came out, they used that version, which was heartbreaking when you yeah. wanted the longer version. But um, one of the weird per- quirks of a version is one version had the sound of a face hitting a butt and the other one didn't. I feel like mine did, but I don't... Mine does now. It does. There's Thank a God. video version, though, floating around where there's no sound of a face <laughs> hitting the butt. 
So don't be disappointed if you see that. Thank you. Um, then the long baseball sequence. Oh, I just wrote just a full softball game. Were you riveted? I said, I've never seen Sandlot, but is this it? Uh, yeah, this is, I think, somehow manages to be longer than the Sandlot, <laughs> the whole movie. That was crazy. The fact that there's a moment where somebody comes up and he goes, it's just entirely set up for this exchange. How much are we up by? I think 8-6. <laughs> Can you imagine Steven Spielberg ever being like, a master story- storyteller would be like, I'm going to set up a shot for where a character asks what the score is. And then you get a weird response. <laughs> what are we up by? Eight, six. Should be two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is just, he's a machine that fed in different components of words he's heard. Uh, and yeah. And it, it makes me think like the line is, what's the score? And the response is, I think 8-6 or no just 8-6 and then the first actor messed up it's like what are we up by and then the other guy still has to say his line but he adds the I think uh, (laughs) 8-6 I think you mean he's about to say I think you mean what's the score and he's looking at the director and the director's just like doing like a slashy throat slashy gesture (laughs) shut up you little cocksucker say the line I'm a I'm I'm a stu- I'm in law school. I went to New York Tisch School of Arts to be a lawyer. Like one you, film and I'm out. Do you think one job? He saw the verdict or something. He saw like a lawyer movie. He's like, that's what I. Yeah, I've been going to the movies cause just to watch courtroom <laughs> movies, but I just wanted to be a lawyer. I'm gonna master every vocation. I'm gonna start with film. Sleepaway Camp mastered it. I'm gonna be a partner in a law firm. That one took a little bit longer than I thought. And then I missed film. <laughs> Uh, what's next what's next I'm gonna be a, a doctor cause I know how they talk um I do you mentioned the Friday 13th of it all I do like the east coast campground location yeah. that it it's so much better than the locations in Fridays 3, 4, 5 and 6 I agree it yeah. just has a a more real older feel it also feels like summer's more meaningful there mm-hmm. although apparently they shot this during fall and had to kind of like Spray the grass and the trees green. <laughs> I noticed there's some trees that kind of have like some buttery yellows and yeah. oranges yeah. that happen in there. But yeah, it, the, it just looks, and maybe because the that area has its own rich history of campgrounds. Yeah, it just it must feels be. more authentic when you look at stuff too. Speaking of camp, I got to take a, a wicked, a wicked... A wicked camp? Sleep, what do we call it? I think a wicked camp. A wicked camp. Yeah, I gotta take a wicked camp too. We'll be right back. With and Well, we will indeed be back next week with the second half of Sleepaway Camp. Thanks for hanging in there with us. And um, thanks as ever for listening to With Gorley and Rust. See you next week with part two. For more Gorley and Rust content... Head over to patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? 
It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.